Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Oh, the sweet, sweet story of love. Yeah, that's where we get to go today. We get to take a look at a love story within an epic story. And I love love stories. This is so nice. You're going to love it. This is uh, Genesis 24. This is the story of, of Rebecca. She's the she's the, matri- the the replacement of Sarah. She's the new matriarch. She's going to steer the direction of the family because she is going to continue the inheritance of Abraham. But Abraham's getting old, okay? The beginning of this, Abraham was now very old, according to verse one. That's uh, that's old. And he's looking around and he is clearly blessed of the Lord, right? He's got money, he's got influence, he's got a son. Uh, the business is going great. He's He's looking around and he's really, oh, the only thing he's missing is that next generation, that next level. And he wants to make sure that that's going to happen before he goes, before he dies. So he pulls in his senior servant, which would have been uh, the guy named uh, Eliezer or Eleazar, depending on how you say it and where you're from. I like Eleazar, but Eliezer is good. Either way, he calls him in and he says, this is, um, yeah, this is one of those funny little phrases in the Bible. The one in charge of all that he had. Okay, so let's just make that clear. He literally, boom. If you remember, this is the guy who uh, came with him from the era of the Chaldees. He was given to him by uh, Nimrod, uh, originally probably to be a spy, so that Nimrod would always have information on this miracle worker, this uh, this kid who left his father's business and was uh, discipled by Noah. This kid who had in this in him this crazy idea that there was only one God named Yahweh who was the creator of all things. This one kid who called forth the original uh, belief, belief system, the original design of creation. This, this one guy who started, not started, but um, re, reinitiated a conversation about what Adam and Eve and the original uh, the original format of creation was all about. This was a guy that was a threat to Nimrod because, of course, Nimrod, well, he was a dictator. And anytime you got somebody who doesn't quite toe the party line and you want absolute control, which is honestly the only way control works, right? You don't have somebody who's like partially in control. If you want control, ultimately you want total control of whatever it is that you want control over. And Nimrod was that kind of person. Okay, enough about Nimrod. Anyways, Eliezer comes from Nimrod. So he's been a part of Abraham's family forever. That's why he's the senior um, servant. That's what he called, senior servant of the household. Eliezer would have been incredibly trusted He would have been honorable. Uh, He probably also now taught people about Yahweh. He was was a disciple of Abraham. He he was now uh, a teacher of other servants as as new ones would get hired or bought or or, um, they would, you know, learn the business from Abraham in order to become, uh, you know, their own business, whatever. If if you've spent time in the household of Abraham, somebody was going to talk to you about Yahweh. Somebody was going to educate you in who Yahweh was and what Yahweh did. So Eliezer would have been one of those people. He had his family. He had a family of his own. I'm sure he was wealthy as well. It wasn't like uh, a lot of times. You know, today we think of slave labor as somebody who doesn't have anything or they're barely surviving. And that, I suppose, it's always been true. But in this case, Abraham. Uh, didn't just have slave labor. These were servants. Servants had their own lives. They had their own wives. They had their own property, or at least in this case, no one had property, but uh, he would have had his own wealth, his own uh, field probably or two, his own uh, small flocks of various types of animals, and he would have generated his own income. Now, he says... Put your hand under my thigh. Uh, there's only one 
way to interpret that just for what it's worth. There's that, yep, it's, yep. That's where the hand was supposed to go. Right up, right up there. Why? Why there? That's so, like, random. Well, it was considered the place of covenant. It's where circumcision be, uh, was, where, where it was. <laughs> There's only, I don't know how else to say that. It's where, yeah, it's the place of covenant. It's a place of heritage. It's a place of birth. It's where the ancestors come from. That's why the phrases often, um, not often, but periodically in, in scripture, you'll see the play, you know, from, from the loins of Abraham, from the loins of Isaac. Yep. That's well, that's the loin. That's where the hand's going right there. Woohoo. Okay. That's enough about that. Let's go on with why he, why he's putting it there. <laughs> Verse three. <laughs> I, I want to, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am, I am living, but will go to my country, to my own relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant asked, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me? What if she won't come back to this land? Shall I take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure you do not take my son back there. <laughs> no, that, that was a quick like, no, that's not an option. Lord God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's house and my, my native land, who spoke and promised an oath to me to the, your offspring, I will give you this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant, ha <laughs> put his hand under the thigh of the master of Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. And the servant left with, and, and well, we'll get into that. Okay, so, <laughs> so he says, I want you to go find a wife for my son Isaac. Now, the way that these are these things are worded, there's, there is no, in Abraham's mind, there's no guarantee that he will be alive when um, Eliza comes back with this daughter uh, for Isaac to marry. So the phrasing here is 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 fairly in, intense. He's like, I don't want a Canaanite. Now what now there's there are those who will look at this and say, well he didn't want a Canaanite because Canaanites are evil people who worshiped idols and 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 he was gonna you know wipe out all the Canaanites. Remember he's gonna kill them all. No that's no. Remember, I, I mean, at least from my perspective, right? We come from the perspective that that is not the plan of God, which is why Abraham several times makes, makes, or asks questions, makes questions, ask questions in such a way that it's that he doesn't plan on taking out all the Canaanites and destroying the land through warfare. But he doesn't want a Canaanite, Canaanite, because Canaanites already own land, and if he started to intermarry with the Canaanites. There'd be no need for God to provide the land. There'd be no need for, for generations or ancestries and, and influence to occur all throughout the land so that eventually the land is possessed by the people of God, as far as he was concerned, people of God. Anyway, sometimes, you know, when you get chosen by God, sometimes you get this thought that you're the only one out there that that matters to God. But we'll go on. We, Yep, anyways. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I, I look at uh, I look at all my notes and I think, no, 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 Bob, do not go down those rabbit trails. You will be here all day. Oh, glory! But he wouldn't need God to provide the land if he started to intermarry with the Canaanites, and he was like, do not do that. And it's and it's uh, it's not only about the fact that they worship idols. Okay, he reminds uh, the, he reminds. Um, well, anyways, I, he well he reminds Eleazar that the people that he has been promised, right? He's been that's what he, he reminds him of the promise of God to your offspring. I will give you this land. Now you also have to remember that all of Abraham's family worshipped idols, so it's again it's the Canaanite thing is not oh they're they're idol worshippers. 
because he wouldn't go back to his family if he if he didn't want idol worshipers. They they worshiped. They all remember his dad wasn't was like the that was his main job of the nation. No, he wanted a blood relative. He wanted somebody who didn't already have land and connections and ancestry in the land because then you wouldn't be able to tell who is who possessed it. It would all be uh, muddied up. It was vital that Isaac stay in the land. If the woman doesn't come back, that phrasing, right? When Eliza asked that question, he's like, uh, he's a servant asked, what if the woman, verse five, if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land, shall I take your son back? This, The phrasing of this indicates that Eliza wanted to know, if, if I can't find a woman out there, can she marry one of my daughters? Do you want to keep it in the family that way? And that was uh, that was not an option, right? He's like, no, no. Make sure that you don't take uh, my make make sure you don't take my son back there, and make sure that my son marries somebody from my family. Do not, do not do that. Do not marry your daughter. Is what he's saying. It's not. This is not an option. And he, and he makes that clear when he says, if the woman doesn't come back, you are relieved of this uh, obligation. So you don't have to find, you don't have to make a, a way for my son to get married to somebody, anybody. If, if the Lord shows you somebody over there in, my, in the land of my people, and she's unwilling to come back with you, you don't have to bring her back. You don't. You are relieved of your obligations. Just come on back and uh, and do what you do. And in essence, he's saying, "Well, you know, we'll let we'll let God figure that out." But you will then, you know, basically keep an eye on Isaac for me because I don't want him to marry people from Canaanites. I don't want him to marry the Canaanites. Now. It says that the uh, the servant put his hand under his, under his side. In other words, he he agreed to all of this. The servant left, taking with him ten of the master's camels loaded with all kinds of good things from his masters, and he set out for the land of, of the people. I'm not going to say the names because you know me. I'm not going to say I'm correct anyway. Verse 11, he had the camels kneel down outside the well toward evening, of, of when the women would come out to draw waters. Now, wait a minute. Now, like, like literally, this verse literally took up 2,000 miles of, of walking. This is not a quick trip. He's got 10 camels with him, lots of supplies. I'm sure he has some security detail to keep an eye on all the wealth that he's bringing with him. And he knows that, that there's a good chance that Abraham won't be there when he gets back. So he's at some level kind of sad about this trip. He doesn't know what the future might hold. He knows he's headed toward an opportunity for the future, but he doesn't know. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He doesn't know what's going to happen to Isaac. He doesn't know what's going to happen to Abraham. All of this is done around this concept of love. He wants he wants to find a wife for his servant's son because he loves his his master. He loves Abraham. He loves all that they've done. He loves all that the places they've gone. And he loves Isaac. And he knows where Isaac came from. He came from Sarah. And Sarah had passed away, if you remember, in the last chapter, probably about 15 years ago. And he, and he has seen how, how empty life has been around the, around the camp without Sarah. Sarah was as you know, I, well, as you know, I believe she was supernaturally beautiful. She was stunning in all her ways. She she ran the household with with an old soul, but a but a young uh, mind and body. And when she was pregnant, Eliza would have been part of all kinds of excitement and preparation for her. He probably was one of the main uh, servants that would make sure that things happened for. For Sarah, make sure that things were done well. Make sure that she was cared for. He invested a lot in the life of Isaac already, and he's on his way to to find Isaac a wife, and he wants to find 
the wife. He wants to make sure that he doesn't mess this up. To me, this is a lot of pressure, but it's out of love that he does it. And it's not a quick trip. He's got a lot of time to think about it. He's got a lot of places to consider going. It's not like there's only one town in the land of Abraham's family. There's a lot of them. So he gets to this town, this this town of Nahor. And he goes to the place that, well, that people kind of hang out in the evening. And he has a conversation with God. He's like, Lord, God of my master. I don't think this is his first conversation with God, right? He's like, make me successful today. Show kindness to my master, Abraham. See, that's the love that he had for Abraham. He's like, I don't, I don't want to find, I don't, you know, I don't want to be out here for two, three years, find, you know, the daughter that of somebody who we end up having these long conversations and she's too young, but whatever. Like it could go that way. I don't want it to go that way, Lord. I want, I, I want to find success right now. I want to find success today. I want to get back on the road because I want Abraham to see his his daughter-in-law. I want him to see the you know the 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 miracle happen, the promise come true. I want him to to see a grandchild. This is this is a passion of somebody who loves his master. That's why I know this guy wasn't beaten into submission. He understands I think he understands his identity from creation. I think he, if anything he picked up from Abraham early on was that was that this this God that Abraham worshipped, and I believe that uh, Eliza worshipped as well, this God that he worshipped was a God who who saw him differently than, than, quote, a slave. He saw him as a man of val- va- value, a man of, of wisdom. And, and uh, he, he knows this because that's the way Abraham saw him. So anyways, he pleads on behalf of his of his master. And he, see, I'm standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming to draw out water. He's like, I'm here. Like, there's there's women coming. Can you pick one of these? <laughs> I'll tell you what, Lord, I, I have an idea. There are certain qualities that we want, right, for our master's son. There's certain qualities that we're looking for in a woman that's going to... Uh, you know, take over the household of Abraham. We can't have a lazy woman. This, this household is huge. This household is busy. This household has all kinds of activities in it. He goes, I need somebody who's uh, going to be, in essence, industrious. I don't want to meet just uh, just anybody. He goes, uh, I want to meet, I don't want to meet a servant. Okay, I want to meet a daughter. I want to meet someone who's kind. I want to meet somebody who is honoring. I want to meet somebody who is has hospitality. Somebody who's thoughtful of others. All of that's packed into this verse 14. May it be that when I say to the young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. She says, drink, I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for your son, your servant Isaac. By this, I know that you will show kindness to your master. So we not only see that he wants kindness to be shown to Abraham, we also see that he loves Isaac. He wants kindness shown to Isaac because he wants him to have a wife that is worthy, I guess you could say, that has the, the internal makeup, the character to take on the family like Sarah did. This is no small task. She's not going to be walking in and slowly figuring it out. As soon as she marries uh, Isaac, as soon as she moves into, you know, Rebecca's old tent, this is going to be a big deal. Everyone's going to come to her with lots of, of questions. They're going to come to her. They're going to, some are going to challenge her. And she's got a lot of work to do. She's going to have to figure out life. She's going to have to get up and move around and find things. She's going to have to ask questions and not be uh, too arrogant to know what's going on. You, I mean, you've met people like that, right? They get into a situation where they clearly don't quite know how things operate yet, but they, they're too afraid to be humble. 
or too prideful to be humble, I guess. And so they don't ask questions. They just go ahead and plow through and they do things wrong or they or they try and do it themselves. And somebody's like, uh, you know, that we have somebody who takes care of that. So he asked the Lord for all these things. That's all packed into verse 14. I want to meet somebody who's kind, honoring, hospita- uh, hospitable, uh, industrious, strong, thoughtful. Uh, he doesn't ask for a good-looking girl, which is interesting, at least in the Western culture, right? It's like, you know, it'd be nice if she was good-looking because the relatives of Abraham are going to be possessing the land. It'd be nice if they had some good looks along the way. <laughs> no, character is what's important. Modesty is what's important. Strength is what's important. So in verse 15, before he had finished praying, before he had finished praying, which tells me he didn't just pray what's in the in the verse before him. He didn't just read, you know, four sentences and call it a day. He's praying. He's in a long conversation with the Lord. He knows the Lord. He spends time with the Lord. He has had multiple conversations with the Lord. So he is praying to the Lord. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where, where there's something really deep on your heart. You just kind of you just kind of keep going over it, right? Just like, Lord, oh, God, oh, God, please, please, Lord Jesus. Like, <laughs> I really, really, you know, want this house or, or I really need this house to sell or I really, really, you know, we really need to find a mechanic or I really need the money or whatever. Like you just, and then you just kind of, you're just kind of on repeat mode. And, but before you finished praying, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder and she was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who is the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. The woman was, what? Very beautiful. You mean God gives you more than you ask for? Come on. That is so good, right? Lord's like, I got I got you on this, Eliza. I got you. I understand. You want to get back to uh, Abraham so that he can see his daughter-in-law? You want to get back to... Isaac, so that he can he can you know get on with life and start making relatives. You like this is yeah I got you I got you. Day one, I don't think she's the first woman. When it says uh, it, when uh, Rebecca came out, she da, 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 da. the woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring to fill her jar, and he came up again. So when he sees her, she's not the only one coming out, right? We already know that because this is the time of day that all the townspeople are coming out to draw water. But it's that, that concept, again, in, these, in the verse 15 is the fact that he understands who she is. He's drawn to her because there's, there's something about her, right? And what would that be? I think he hears. He hears from the Lord. He gets, she's, what? What do we call it in, in some some churches will call it like the Lord highlighted her out of all the women that were coming up, all the townspeople. I'm sure that there were some guys there too. He looks up and it's like, wow, that one, that one's very interesting. Oh, I can tell that she's a virgin because of what she was wearing. Evidently, not everybody coming up there was. And she's beautiful. And it says he, yeah, she filled the jar, and and it came up again. So, uh, where is that phrase? Da, 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 was the wife of the brother? The woman went down. Oh, there it is, verse sixteen. She she went to the spring, filled her jar, and came up. It came up again. There is a legend that says that 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 takes that phrase came up again as a miracle that she actually dropped her jar in the spring and it floated back up. And, it, you know, if you've ever worked with uh, clay jars, like if you drop it in the, in a spring and if, as it fills up with water, it's going to sink. And it, when, when the miracle happened, when it floated back up, that's what Eliza saw and that's why he ran to her. Now, I don't, I don't know if that's true. I'm just letting you know because this is the epic narrative and I throw in things like this, so that you get the opportunity to put it on a shelf somewhere and say, hmm, that's really curious. Or, well, I wonder if that could be true. 
I mean, miracles happen. And and sometimes God, you know, indicates who, who people are through through a miraculous sign. It happened with Abraham. Per, I mean, I believe it happened with Abraham. I don't think he gets separated from Nimrod unless it does. But but anyways, let's just say, you know, whatever. What, whatever, let's put it in the, in the place of curiosity. Did a miracle happen here? Or was Eliza so confident that that's who it was that he went right to her? I, it could be either way. I mean, when the Lord speaks to you and he highlights people to you, you should have the confidence to go up and speak to them. Now, some people don't. Where do you get the confidence? You get the confidence to go up and talk to people that God's highlighted to you by talking to people who God's highlighted to you. This has to be, this is a, a not has to be, well, you have to practice it if you want to get good at it. You you might have been around people who pray for other people, and they seem to pray for other people with you know such ease. They just kind of they just kind of walk up to them and say, "Hey, can I pray for you?" And the people are always like, "Yeah." And you think, "How did you know that? Like, how did how did you know to pray for that person? How did you know that they would say yes? What if they yelled at you? What if they weren't you know weren't into it? What if they didn't want to be prayed for?" And that's where often people say, "Well, the Lord just highlighted them to me." Like I just sense the Holy Spirit say, "Hey, that person needs prayer. Hey, that person needs a word of a word of encouragement, whatever, you know. It usually just means a nice say something nice to them." That person and sometimes, you know, you get somebody might be like, "That person needs you, you know, needs some money. Remember I gave you some extra money? It's for that person." Uh or, you know, buy that person a lunch or or buy, you know, pay that person's uh gas gas bill or whatever here at the at the tank like there's lots of ways that the lord would may want you to encourage people around you but you have to become confident in it by getting good by getting good at it by stepping out walking that 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 you know stepping out of faith walking that that uh that that path of opportunity and why would god do all that why would he want you to you know, to bless somebody else. Why would he want you to walk along, you know, the road and then hand somebody some money? I don't know. I don't know what he'd ask you to do, but I do know that what he wants is he wants his people to look like him. He wants us to represent him on this earth. He wants us to to tap into the identity that we have from eternity, and he wants us to understand that our resources are forever. That we aren't going to run out. He doesn't run out of blessings. We're not going to run out of opportunities to bless other people. Think of the cultural shift. Think of the way you could possess the land. If you looked at it and said, I'm going to bless everybody so many times. I'm going to, I'm going to find ways to be kind. Every chance the Lord highlights, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. What if you made that arrangement with God? Like, God, you're literally going to have to tell me not to bless somebody. You're going to have to tell me not to be kind. You're going to, like, there's, I'm going to be nice to everybody. I'm going to pray for people. Anybody with a limp, I'm going to ask them if they want prayer for their, for whatever it is that ails them. Anybody with an oxygen tank, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask them if they would like prayer for the, a miracle to happen in their body. Like there's there's lots of ways to practice this. And I believe Eliza understood this. I don't think this was the first time he prayed for, for you know, the Lord to show him something or show him someone. And then there it was. And he knew, he hurried to meet her. Verse 17, he said, please give me a little water from your jar. And she said, go right ahead, drink, drink it all. And then she quickly lowered the jar in her hands and gave him more. And then she said, you know what? Would you like me to water your camels as well? Remember, he took 10 of them. These things are like, I don't know, some say up to 140 gallons of water. Like that's no small task. I don't know how big this jar is, but <laughs> I, I remember uh, working uh, at a, on a mission trip out in Guatemala and we had to... Everything was manual labor, right? So they had these five-gallon plastic buckets, which are like universally used for every kind of imaginable thing. I mean, I just, it blows my mind what they would use it for. But on this particular day, the goal was to get this, you know, I don't know, I think it was four or five dump truck loads of sand up five flights of, of stairs 
to where they were building, you know, continuing to build this this hospital. So we're like, you know, it's whatever. Nine o'clock in the morning, we're thinking this this is no problem. Like fill the buckets up, right? You fill the buckets up and then you start walking. And buckets are heavy and they get heavier the more you walk. So I think it took us about four trips with two filled buckets of sand to realize these trips would be a lot easier if we only put like two scoops of sand in each bucket. And even though we'd have to do way more trips up and down these these stairs, actually it was a ramp. It was kind of bizarre. They had a they had a ramp all uh, like like a spiral huge ramp all the way up the middle of this building. It was uh, so that's what we ended up doing. And man, we took way more time. But it's just five-gallon buckets are heavy. So I don't know how heavy this jar is. But you got to know that if she's bringing up 140 gallons of water and it's in a two-gallon you know, jug, that's going to take a few, few uh, rounds. But she completes the whole task. She, and she does it uh, without, really, without being asked. She's like, I'm gonna, I'll, get, I'll water your camels too until they've had enough. She quickly emptied the jar into the trough. She went back to the well to draw more water, and she drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man just watched her closely and leaned and learned whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. So when the camels had finished drinking, which again took some time, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a, a becca and, and two gold bracelets wearing ten she, weighing 10 shekels. In other words, it was not a cheap gift. This was uh, this was pretty pretty intense. So he rewards her, I think, out of excitement because while remember while she's doing all of this back and forth with, she clearly has energy. She has, uh, you know, she smiles. She's not complaining. She doesn't like have a heavy sigh and be like, "Hey, do you think that's enough? Do you think that's enough to get him through? You know, like the night or what?" Like she's like, no. She just keeps going until they've had enough. Till the camels are done drinking. It's it's awesome. And the whole time he's praying, he's checking it out. He's like, Lord, really? Really? Did you answer my prayer like that quickly? Is she really the one? She's got to be the one, right? I mean, that's what I said. I asked for her to uh, water me and water the camels. And that's exactly what you what you brought me. Like, this is a this is crazy. So he gives her these gifts, and I think he gives them to her out of excitement. And uh and he says, so whose daughter are you? Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She goes, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, born of Nahor. And he's thinking, oh, my word. And then she continues, sure, we have plenty of straw, plenty of fodder. There's room for you to spend the night. In other words, we're not, we're not poor and destitute people. We have, we have uh, you know, places for you to be. So she offers him more hospitality. She tells the man who she is and where she comes from. And the man like literally just falls on the ground and worships the Lord. Like he's so overwhelmed by the answer of God's prayer that he just, he can't even handle it. So he's like, praise God, <laughs> the master of my, Abra of, of, of my, the praise God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned me in his kindness, faithfulness to his master. As for me, the Lord has led me on my journey to my master's relatives. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. So she takes off running because um, Elijah's got to put together all of his stuff. Probably, he probably had unloaded his camels. He needs to load them all. He needs to, you know, tie them all back together. Now he's going to go for a walk. Going to go to his, you know, to um, Nahor's house. So Rebecca had a brother named, named Laban. We know we learn more about him later, right? But he hurries out to the man at the spring. So when when Rebecca gets back, and and of course she's got this huge gold bracelet on and gold earrings, and she goes running over. She tells her mother. She tells the household. I met this guy. He's amazing. He's he's here from. Um, you remember Abraham? And of course they know Abraham because. They're all related, right? It would have been Laban's uncle. So they, they're like all, all excited. Our relative is here. 
He's got a boatload of stuff with him. I've offered him a place to stay. We got to prepare. Like there's people cooking now. There's a somebody preparing a room. There's all this activities going on. Laban runs out to meet him, and um, it says he ran out. I think because of his greed. Because in verse 30, it said, as soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm, and he had heard Rebecca tell the, of the man what, what, he, you know, what, what he had said to her about the fact that he was here from his master's household, that he was looking for a relative, he ran out to, to find the man standing by his camels by the spring. So Eliza's waiting for someone to from the household to officially invite him, right? He got invited by Rebecca, but Rebecca's clearly just one. She's not the head of the household. He can't show up with 10 camels and expect a place to stay. He's waiting for an official uh, invite, so he gets one. Laban comes running out. He gets After he gets all the details, he, he runs out, and he brings this guy back, and he, you know, whatever, takes all the, all the stuff off the camels. They unload them all. The, all the wealth is seen. I think Laban's greed just kind of keeps getting deeper keeps getting fired up he's thinking oh my you know like this is amazing abraham clearly we had heard he was wealthy but clearly this man is very wealthy so in verse uh 33 uh the food was set out in front of everyone and eliza says i will not eat until i've told you the men what i have what i have to say and they were like all right then tell us so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord blessed my master abundantly. He's come very wealthy. Da, 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 da. My, ma- my master's wife, Sarah, bore him a son in her old age. Again, this is stuff they probably had heard, but now they're hearing it firsthand. This is a big deal. They're getting all the details firsthand from Eliza. Uh, and everybody would have wanted to know, you know, firsthand again, like what, what is the account? How is he doing? And these, these are bullet points. This is not how quickly the conversation went. This conversation probably went, I don't know, hours, literally. And he, remember, he's not eating. He's telling the whole story. And, and then he recounts the oath. Verse 37, my master made me swear an oath that said, you must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. Go to my father's family on my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, what if the woman won't come back? And he said, the Lord before whom I've walked faithfully will send an angel and will make this journey a success so that you will find a wife for my son from my own clan, from my father's family. You'll be released from my oath if you do not, if when you go to my clan, they refuse to give her to you, then you you will be released from my oath. So when I came to the spring today and the Lord of my master Abraham said, you will you will, you know, grant success on the journey on which I've come. I'm standing here behind, behind, beside the spring and a young woman comes out to draw water. Please let her draw water for me and for my camels. And he goes through the whole story. I'm going to skip. <laughs> and they're, they're all listening. They're listening, but they're also fascinated because they know, they know he's talking about their family. They know he's talking about Rebecca. They get it. They understand what's going on. And in that moment, they they are starting to calculate what this means for them as a family. So they're looking at each other, whether they're you know eating the pita bread or sipping on the tea or uh, putting down some some you know some dates, some uh, some figs. They're just listening. And in verse 49, he's like, now, if you, sh- if, <clears throat> if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me so that I know which way to turn. So he basically says, I want to know. I'm going to close this deal. I've told you this whole story. I haven't eaten. I've told you this whole story. I want to close the deal now. Will you give me? Rebecca as a wife for my master's son Isaac. And Laban and Bethuel answered. In other words, this is they've they've conferred. They've they've probably had several 
back and forth during the retelling of the story that Eliezer is telling. Eliza is telling. And now I'm combining the two words, two ways to say his name. I'm sure he appreciates that. And they look at each other and they look at him and he says, they say, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca, take her to go. Let her become the wife of the master's son as the Lord has directed. And when Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out the gold and the silver and the jewelry and the articles of clothing, and he gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to the brother and to her mother. And then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there, and they got up the next morning, and he said, send me on my way. So he closes the deal. They agree. You you. Clearly came from God. You clearly have a plan. We have a beautiful daughter. We haven't promised her to anyone. You clearly have a ton of money. We're willing to close this deal. Boom. He's like, all right. So they bring Rebecca out. She's probably in another tent or had been serving the men during the meal. They bring her out and they're like, there she is. She's yours. He's like, yes. So he blesses Rebecca. He gives her a bunch of beautiful clothing. Uh, more gold, more silver, more jewelry. He dresses her like she, you know, like a like the wife of a prince. And then he goes and he and it says his men were there as well. Remember, because they all sat down to eat after. So they all they also bring in all kinds of money and gifts and expensive things that would, uh, in essence, a dowry. And they give it to the family both to the to the to the head of the household and to Rebecca's mother. And all this has to do with honor and all this has to do with with um, respect. And they receive all these riches, which means the deal is done. Then they have a huge party. Everybody's eating and drinking and having a good time. And Eliza wakes up the next morning and he says, I I need to go. And they're like, basically, why? And, of course, he wants to go because he wants to get back to Abraham before Abraham dies. And they're like, whoa, well, let's let's talk about this. This was in verse 54. So the brothers, and the uh, so the brother, sorry, and the mother, they have a conversation and they say, you know what? Let her stay with us uh, 10 days. Then you can go. And again, that phrasing is more like, we don't know when we're going to let her go. Just, you know, hang out for a while. They're resisting this whole thing. They're thinking if, I think part of their motivation is, especially from Laban, the brother, because we know about his greed later on in this in, in this narrative, He's thinking if if she stays, Abraham might send more. We might get more out of this. Like, let's uh, let's let's see if we can milk this a little bit. And Eliza understands that when they say it. Uh, let her stay ten days. It could be ten days. It could be ten months. It could be three or four years before they actually let her go. So he presses it. Verse fifty six. He said to them, "Don't detain me." Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I can go to my master. So he brings God into this by saying, listen, you all agreed last night that this was the plan of God, that you all agreed last night that that the success that I had in finding Rebecca within hours of arriving, that that you know, that I found not only a relative, but literally the brother. Like, this is, this is intense. You all agree with this. I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. Clearly, the Lord's involved, and you agreed. Now, let me go and finish this journey. Don't detain me. And they said, all right, well, let's ask her. So they pull out Rebecca. Now, Rebecca has an opportunity here to stay with the family, do what's best for the family, get more riches for the family, milk it for the family, maybe even get Isaac to come out. That's probably what they were thinking. Like Isaac can put together another caravan of riches. 
and come out. Maybe we can host the, the wedding, which would mean, you know, that, that even more riches would be sent out from Abraham. And, and we would just really increase our wealth immensely if we could keep her here and maybe even get the wedding here. So they called in Rebecca. They expect her to go with the family. They expect her to know what she's being asked. She does. Will you go with this man? And she says yes. I mean, it's, it's almost immediate in the way that it's written. Do you want to go? Yes, I want to go now. That's the way it's, it's presented. So what could they do? Like they, she kind of, she kind of pulled, pulled a fast one. So they sent her, sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with the nurse and Abraham's servant and, and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, O oh, sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. And Rebecca and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels. They went back with the man. And so the servants took Rebecca and left. That's pretty crazy. <clears throat> it's, it's just that fast. And again, we cover 2,000 miles as though it's, as though it's a verse. <clears throat> the people, I mean, her family is blessed. Remember, her family got much wealth. And I'm guessing she left a lot of those jewels behind because they probably wanted them. And they start traveling the 2,000 miles back. And they go to where Isaac is living. And Isaac is just doing life. And in verse 64, I know we're going to do this. is huge. We never covered this many. <clears throat> in verse 64, it says, Well, he went out in the field one evening to meditate. He looked up. Sorry, verse 63. He looked up. He saw camels approaching. And Rebecca also looked up and she saw this man in the field. She saw Isaac. And she knew it was him. She knew it was him. It was like love at first sight. And he, uh, and he asked his servants, he goes, who is that man? And, he, and, and Elijah says, that's my master. That's my master's son. That's Isaac. And she covered herself so that, you know, she would be modest. And the servant told Isaac all that he'd done, which again, the, that verse had to take an hour. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and married Rebekah so that she became his wife. And he loved her. And Isaac was comforted by after his mother's death. Like, literally, that's bada bing, bada boom. But that's the way they do things back then. He brought her into his mother's tent. It was love at first sight. There's a lot of, there's honestly, there's a lot of time and details in that verse, I know. But the key is, is that, is that there was, there was a love involved in, in meeting each other. There was a love and uh, depth given to them because of the journey, because of the miraculous things that happened, because when they, when they, when Isaac heard the whole story from the servant, he couldn't, he couldn't deny that this was God's hand. He couldn't deny that this is who he was to marry. There was no debating about it. He was excited for this. I have no doubt. He took her into Sarah's tent. He's like, you are taking over. You are the replacement for the matriarch of the family. You are now, in essence, a you know a, a queen or at least a princess in a in a tribe that is going to continue to grow. And we'll get more, you know, obviously more into those details as time goes on because that whole marriage and family dynamic gets all kinds of crazy. But in this journey, in this moment, we started out with a a servant who was who won, well, who loved his master and loved his master's son. And in love, he moved with the God of love over 2,000 miles and stayed in contact with him. And the, and the God of love revealed the love of Isaac's life by highlighting her to the servant. He, he brought about this kind of love because I believe the servant was in frequency. He was in tune with what God had to say. And you sometimes you have to practice getting into that frequency. But, I, you know, we've talked about that. And out of that 
the whole journey back, trust me, I I mean, with everything within me, I know Eliza was explaining to Rebecca how they worship one God, how Yahweh is the creator God, how he is the how he is the God of light and the God of love. And and I think Rebecca's just drinking this all in. She just is realizing, wow, idol worship just doesn't work. Like it's dead, it's just religion, it's just functional. But this God is amazing. Like she's being discipled. And I have no doubt because of Eliza's love for her, for his master and for his master's son, he's pouring even more. You, you know, you have, you've had those kind of conversations where you only have like this amount of time. Now I know 2000 miles is a long time, but he's thinking I've got like this amount of time. And I basically have to explain to her the entire family and our theology and the God who's going to, you know, who's, who's blessed us. And the fact that her offspring are going to possess the land. Like there's a whole lot being dumped on this woman during the whole journey. And when she sees Isaac, she gets off the camel. She's, she's like, who is that man in the field? It's Isaac. She covers herself. It says, basically I am ready. And when the servant explains everything to Isaac at the end, he's like, she knows it all. And she is ready. And Isaac's like, then let's get it done. And it was done. And I've been on going on for a long time. But we covered a huge chapter. And it will set us up for other other aspects of the story in the future. But but just remember this whole journey was about love. And it was the it was focused and frequencied into the God of love. And it's gonna be, it'll serve us well. It'll serve us well as we continue the epic narrative next week. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for hanging out. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, I, 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 I don't know what to say about this episode. Honestly, there were times during this episode where I was listening to it, I thought, this is, this is, I didn't like it that much. I didn't like it that much. I'll tell you why I didn't like it. I think for me, one, I think it was it was it was a very early in the morning, and even though I'm a morning person, I did not have much energy early on in that in that episode. And I missed the opportunity to really emphasize how much love was involved in this story. And and so there's that's where my thoughts went today. It's it's just the amount of love that uh, Abraham had for his servant, Eleazar, uh, and the desire he had for his servant to um, to bring, like the trust, the love and trust he had in that servant to bring a, a daughter-in-law back for his son, right? And then, and, and Isaac, he loved and trusted his father and the servant because, of course, they had, the servant had been just part of his life, his whole life, that um, that love uh, between between the the son and the lifelong servant of the of the family had to be amazing, and those conversations had to take place as well when when he knew that Eleazar had been uh, you know entrusted to go find the the wife for the future of the nation. Like there's a nation riding on this, which had to be a phenomenal type of atmosphere to to grow up in as a as a child. You're in essence being told that you're a prince, but you have no land, and you're the only uh, only son that the father is passing on to. You're obviously you do have a brother, a half brother, that's out in the desert, currently married and having children. Uh, so that that whole dynamic is crazy, uh, and I don't know. I like. I think I just missed a lot of the family dynamic and all this, and just trying to get through the verses. And I'm sorry about that. If you're if you're a regular listener, you probably caught it as well. And and I I'm sure, uh, you know, at some level it was enjoyable. I, I enjoyed it. It just wasn't my favorite episode because I, I just uh, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, wow, like what you missed. Like there was so much more. There was so much more relational interaction going on here. And then. Eliezer goes and he has a 2,000 mile journey and he and he gets there and I do think we kind of captured um, the essence, not the details, but the essence of that family because of Lot and his and his uh, his his father and just the whole like 
we're not going to let her go yet. Like that, the dynamic of greed, the dynamic of how much can we milk out of Abraham? Because everyone knew Abraham had left the family compound, had left the family country, and had gone to some other country. And even though he didn't own any land, they knew he was wealthy. And these gifts that that were brought were clearly weighty and beautiful. And the clothing was rich and and um, just it was meant for a queen. So the you know the, the the ideas that went through their head that day as they were talking with Eleazar and listening to his whole story and and of course they were going to let their their daughter uh, or um, the niece go and participate in this family. Sorry, I'm standing outside at a at a beautiful farm and this. Gorgeous red-tailed hawk just went over the top of me, just crying out. It just was, I don't know if you could hear it or not, but it was breathtaking. And I'm just like, wait, oh, yeah, where was I? Yeah, often that's what happened with my thoughts. But, yeah, I just I just think that, uh, I, don't, I don't think it could be emphasized enough. And maybe that was my, my, my thoughts in that, in that early morning was like, wow, you just can't say this enough and I don't, even on even on the epic narrative, I didn't want to take hours talking through the social and cultural dynamics of the relationship and love that this family had for each other and what they entrusted Eleazar to go do. And then he went and did it. He went and did it, and he didn't fall for the deception, and he didn't fall for the, the greed, the manipulation, which he could have. And then the, the beauty of... Uh, of Rebecca to come in and recognize the greed of her family and what that was going to put in jeopardy for her. Very unusual that they would put that kind of decision, culturally, that kind of decision on a female. And yet they did it, and she immediately chose to leave the family, which speaks volumes to the amount of trust and the amount of of manipulation or lack of trust, I should say, and the manipulation that she was used to in that family, she wanted out. She wanted out of this family. She did not want to participate in the greed and and the uh, not exhortation, the exploitation of the wealth of Abraham. She wanted wanted out, which uh, again, really didn't hit on that, but it was, that's a dynamic moment when she says, no, I, I, I want to leave and I want to leave now. That had to speak volumes to Lot and to, um, and to her father, that she was not going to put up with any more of the family dynamic. She was tired of it, sick of it. She probably had seen it destroy a few other possibilities of marriage. Remember, she was, she was still a virgin and still not promised to anyone. I'm guessing they had taken advantage of a few different people in the in the area taking advantage of them financially and possibly with land and and livestock and then they just and then they just reneged on the deal and she was like nope I'm not putting up with it I got a choice in this oh no I'm out a peace out and she left that day holy smokes that's phenomenal now <clears throat> we'll try and bring it up again in a few more chapters when when uh, uh, not not Ishmael, uh, come on, Lot, uh, Jacob. Sorry, Jacob and Esau. When Jacob goes back to Lot, right, and he finds a wife. Remember, Lot's been burned by this family, as far as he's concerned. So I know that Lot gets a ton of of abuse regarding his deception and his manipulation. But that was the culture he grew up in. And he feels at this point when Lot, when when um, Jacob shows up, he feels like this family's already burned him for what he would consider millions of dollars that could have been his. But that's a story for another time. Oh, P.S. I know that I messed up on the on the uh, in the story on the names. I I think twice I referred to what should have been Sarah. Sarah's tent, I referred to it as Rebecca's tent, and obviously that's not true because Rebecca hasn't even doesn't exist yet. So if you caught that, kudos to you. Have yourself a great day, everyone. I'll see you again next week on The Epic Narrative.
thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.